Before Jesus was taken to be crucified, he prayed for his disciples and for us. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What does this perfect unity look like, church? What does it mean to become one? We are going to wrap up our one series by talking about Abraham's journey, and if it is not immediately apparent how Abraham's journey fits into Jesus's prayer for unity, we're going to find that out, and I'm going to tell a very personal story, so that is what we're going to do today. So let's get started. I'm very excited. So we first meet Abraham, known at that point in his life as Abram, in Genesis chapter 11. And the first thing we find out is that God has a call for his family. It's unclear whether God specifically called him or called his father Tira, but we have a map we're going to look at a couple times today. If you can see it there, down there in the lower right-hand corner, you can see Ur and Babylon. Ur is the city that Abram was born in and that he was raised in with his family. And God calls Tira, and he moves the whole tribe, the whole family, 600 miles up the Euphrates River to Haran, which is another city. Scripture tells us in Genesis 11 that they built a home there, they built wealth there, they established themselves there, and after probably about 40 years, Tira dies. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12 with the specific call that Abram got. So we're going to read that. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So there's a lot going on in this passage. This is a turning point in scripture. God comes and gives Abraham a very specific call, and he institutes um, the first foreshadowing of a new covenant that he is going to make that is later going to establish the people of Israel. But the very first thing he says is, get thee from thy father's house. So Abraham is called the father of the faithful, and the very first thing we know about him is that he was called to leave home. 
So to really appreciate that, we are going to do a little bit of historical archaeology and get a cheer from Liza and find out a little bit about Ur and Haran. So our first drawing is going to show us part of the city of Ur. These are, of course, representations, what archaeologists think it might have looked like. Now, the city of Ur, they tell us, was divided into two sections, the holy section and the general civic section. So this is kind of a close-up of what the holy section might have looked like. That kind of tiered pyramid building is a ziggurat. They worshipped the uh, moon god Nana at Ur and Haran. That was a very important part of their culture. So they have a ziggurat here. And then in this more highly fortified part of the city, it's where the wealthiest people lived, all the priests lived. Um, so basically, if you were important, you lived in this part of the city. OK, so the next picture is going to kind of zoom out. So this is another imagining of what it may have looked like. And in this picture, way in the back there is the ziggurat. So you could see where the holy section might have been there in the back of the city. And then you can see what a layout of the rest of the city, this kind of civic section here, might have looked like. This included other buildings like homes. They had libraries. They had government buildings. This was a very advanced society for its day. It was positioned close to the Euphrates River and the Persian Gulf. And there was a whole system of marshland. And they used these streams and rivers for trade, they were a major trade hub, and for defense, so that they wouldn't be attacked. So basically, Ur was the New York City of its day. It was the center of civilization, it was very advanced. Um, archaeologists tell us that they had a well-developed government, led by a king, taxes, a class system, schools, unless you were, you know, really poor or slaves, which was sad for you. Your children got to learn to read and write and do arithmetic. Um, then there was a class of wealthy people who had many luxuries like jewelry, art, books, furnishings. And even the um, more basic population lived in sturdy homes. Many of them had gardens and many conveniences like basic plumbing, which is pretty cool. So, you know, we're talking about 2000 BC here, and this is a very well-established, relatively comfortable city to live in. Okay, so that's where they start out. So they start out in Ur, and then they go to Haran. Now, Haran was also in the major trade routes of the time. It was also protected by an empire. So it was kind of a smaller version of Ur. It was kind of like moving from New York City to maybe Sarasota. So that's what they did first. They moved from New York City to Sarasota. And they hung out there for a while, and they made a home and built up a livelihood there. So when God calls Abram and says, now I want you to leave Haran at age 75, and I want you to journey down into Canaan. Now, Canaan was a land that was more populated by more tribal kind of people. There were no huge cities. It was not protected by a particular empire. And Abraham was called to wander. So when God says to him in Genesis 1, go to a land that I will show you, it's not like that was a destination, like God was going to show him a destination, and then he was going to give him that land, and he was going to make a home and camp there. Abraham became a wanderer, God showing him where to go from place to place for the rest of his life. So I think this is kind of like if you were living in Sarasota and God called you to wander in tents 
in the backwoods of Mexico for the rest of your life. So this is the kind of move that Abraham is making. Okay, so this is the point where I want you guys to help me. You ready? We're gonna do some brainstorming on the whiteboard. Okay, so thinking about what we just talked about, what Ur and Haran were like, and him being called to the wilds of Canaan to live in tents, what did Abraham leave behind? Comfort. Yes, absolutely. That's a big one. What else? Safety. Yep. Family. Yep. He left the rest of his family. Yep. Everything familiar. I'm sorry? Yes, convenience for sure. Anything else you can think of? Status, yep. And just his whole culture, right? Everything he was used to. Okay, so if you have your Bible, you can look back at Genesis chapter 12. But what did he take with him? So God did not call him on a backpacking trip, like just literally leave everything except for what you can carry on your back. He did bring some things with him. What did Abraham bring with him on this journey? Yes, his immediate family, correct. His immediate family slash household. So he didn't leave his wife, didn't leave the people that were dependent on him. He brought them along. What else did he bring? His wealth, he brought possessions. Anything else? Somebody whisper something? No? Okay, so he brought his relationship with God, right? God went with him. God never calls us to a place that he's not going to go with us. And he also brought his experiences. Everything he had learned and knew and gained in those places in his life up to that point, that all came with him. Okay, so now we're going to ask the question, what did God call him to? So God called him away from all of these things, took him out of the city and the familiarity and the safety. What was God calling him to? You can do it. I know you can. To wander? Mm-hmm. I'm going to call that a life of adventure. What else? Trust. Yes. And what does God promise him? Yes. Great name. And lots of other blessings. God tells him that he is going to be a catalyst for change. 
Okay. You guys did really good at that. Good job. So, Abraham is a type or a symbol of the life of faith. The New Testament tells us this. He's a very important figure. And so this story is operating on two levels. It's operating on the level of what's actually happening, which is that Abraham was an actual person that God called from an actual place to go wander in an actual wilderness, right? And God did that, we find out as the story goes, because he was preparing to have a nation here on earth. He was going to use Abraham's family to create a physical nation in a physical land that was going to have its own government and king and people and worship as he was preparing to do something great in the world, eventually to bring us Jesus. So that is, in the physical realm, what God was doing, right? But the New Testament tells us that Abraham is a type or a shadow of the life of faith. Again, he is called the father of the faithful. So I think it is significant that the first thing we know about him is that he's leaving home. And I think God is showing us that we too will be called to leave home at some point, in some way. Every one of us is born into a family, a religion, or maybe not, a political leaning, or maybe not, a city, a socioeconomic class, a culture. So just like God called Abraham away from the cities, at some point God will call us to leave some things behind. In this one series, we have been talking about Jesus' prayer for unity and his desire for oneness, for his unity, for the unity he wanted for all people. And we've been asking questions like, how do we walk toward that unity? How do we embrace all of the people that Jesus embraces? How do we become a part of making peace and shalom in the world? Well, I think that this, this leaving, is part of the answer. Because as we grow up and live and discover and suffer and experience some of life's futilities, I think we start to know deep down that God is calling us on a further journey, a journey toward perfect love and peace and purpose and blessing and joy. These are the deepest realities that our souls long for. And we know we have to go to a new place, just like Abraham did, to find them. So, and I put this next point up on the screen so we could all read it. So, we have to leave home. Because as good as our homes were, and as necessary for our development, they cannot provide this. This place of perfect love and true calling. No home can. Because the place of perfect love and true calling is only you and Jesus. It can only be reached by letting go of things you clung to as a child, fought for as a teen, believed in as a young adult, and built in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s. We have to let go and see what Jesus has for us 
on our journey toward Canaan. So as we talk about this, I'm going to share with you my personal experience of leaving home. And I've done a bit of leaving home in my life, and I did it in several stages. The first stage, which most of us have done, I literally left Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I grew up, and moved to the Tampa area to come to college. So I left my family. I left my culture. If you don't know, the culture of the North is different than the culture of the South. Very different climate. So I was dealing with all of those things, and it was a lot of this, comfort, safety, family, what was familiar when I came and moved to come to college. The second time that was a major home leaving for me was when I got married. Now this was actually terrifying for me. Not because Brett is terrifying, but because I knew that I was gonna be leaving some of these things behind again. It was gonna be very new. I was gonna be leaving my family, the familiar way that I was living, some of the conveniences that I had. And I didn't know how that was gonna feel or what that was gonna look like. So I was actually quite scared. I could tell you that whole story uh, another time. The third time that I really left home was when I quit my job, the full-time job I had out of college to support Brett in his business and then to have babies. This was also a difficult transition for me. Um, it was another big shift in my identity. I was giving up a lot of my independence. And so there were a lot of shifts. And then the babies, anyone who's had a baby, knows that that like, completely changes your life and what you're doing and who's dependent on you. And so then that was another whole shift in my life. All right, fourth. Fourth, leaving home major for me. Those of you who know me, and I've talked about this um, before in different settings at Element, but after the birth of my second child, I had a collapse into chronic illness and depression. This brought a whole new season of feeling like I had lost a lot of things that felt like home. I felt like I lost almost everything that made me feel like me. I had to give up most of my activities and community involvement. Um, most of the things that felt like achievement were affected. I lost more independence and the work that I was doing. So I got to a place where I felt like I pretty much just had Jesus, my family, and my church community because all of my other identity markers had been either lost or changed. So I've left home. And as we've already talked about, I think we are all gonna be called to leave home in different ways throughout our lives. And your situations will be different than my situations. But I would like to end today by talking about a few things I have learned from leaving home, both to validate you and encourage you in advance that your experiences and the things that you may face are real, but that we can get through them and that we can get through them together. So number one, what I have learned 
It is scary and hard, but that's why we have each other. So there were times along this journey when I was so scared. I didn't know if I'd ever sleep again. I didn't know if I'd ever be comfortable again. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get out of bed the next morning. But that's okay. It's okay because I'm sure Abraham was scared. I'm sure he was. And when God calls us to a new place, to a big change, and asks us to leave all of this behind, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But it's okay. And God got us through it every step of the way. And it was hard, too. And you know, I think there were times when I thought, if I had more faith, this wouldn't be so hard. If I, if I had it more together, this wouldn't be such a hard process. And I want to release you from that pressure. Because when you leave home, it's going to be hard. But that's okay. And that is why here at Element, we talk so much about authentically living together in community and supporting each other in everything that we go through so that we have community to help us through the scary and the hard. Okay, number two. God's people are many, and they are found in unexpected places. Friends, I could just weep tears of joy telling you all the times that God showed up and sent a person exactly when we needed it. Times when just a random person would show up at our house church. Times when I would just get an email or a phone call. One time, a friend who had moved to Switzerland happened to be in the area and came and knocked on our door in one of our darkest moments. God never left us alone. Even when we felt like we were jumping off a cliff and leaving everything behind, he never once left us alone. Number three, God is faithful. He leads and provides every step of the way. Psalms 31.5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I love this verse because this is the verse that Jesus cried out as he was dying. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Another version says, I place myself in your care. And the end of that verse is, O Lord, faithful God. So even as he was dying, Jesus was quoting this verse about God being faithful. Number four, it's worth it. It's worth it. I could talk a lot more, pretty much ad infinitum, about the hard and the pain and the scary because it was hard and painful and scary. But friends, it is worth it. When God calls you to these things, 
when he calls you to trust, when he calls you to adventure, to new places, when he calls you to greater blessing, and when you find your true calling with him, that place that is just you and Jesus, and you find your true purpose, it's worth it. It's worth everything. I'm going to close by reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14 from the message, which says this so beautifully. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us Abraham and his story. His story of you coming to him and calling him from everything he knew to a wild and unknown land where he didn't know anything or anyone. To show us, God, that when you call us to do the same, when you call us to leave what's familiar, what has been our life, when you call us to those wild places of adventure, that you will be with us every step of the way, just like you were with Abraham. God, give us the faith to take it one step at a time. Anything on our journey that you call us to, Father, give us the faith and the trust and the courage and fill us with your spirit so that we know that you're always with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.